0: How are we doing, Hope City Church? We doing good? Well, I just want to say welcome to everybody who's with us here in the room and at Shepherdsville or wherever you're watching this or a part of this service. Uh, Just excited that we get to be together today. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor uh, here at the church, and it's just going to be a good time. As we continue our series today called The Goat, The Goat, we are taking 12 weeks to uh, study and read through the book of John And the reason that we're calling this series The Goat is because Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the greatest of all time. And so we're reading these stories and these miracles and uh, these teachings of Jesus so that we would believe, so that we would believe. And the guy who wrote the book, his name is John. That's why it's named John. He told us in John chapter 20 that the reason he wrote the book is so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's the answer to sin and death and that in him is life. And so we are reading these stories and these teachings and these miracles of Jesus so that we would believe that Jesus is God. John did not write the book of John so that we would believe that Jesus was a man who lived Because he was a man who lived. We know that historically, that's undeniable that Jesus lived. What John wants us to believe is that Jesus is God. And the way that we've said that each week is that Jesus has always been and he was in heaven and he is God, but he put aside his godness, is the way that we've said it, so that he could come be with us. He could come be with us. He left heaven to come sleep on our couch so that he could be with us, and John wrote this book of John so that we would believe that, that Jesus is God, and that he's the answer for our life. And so today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and we are going to read about a conversation between Jesus and a woman. Now, we don't know this woman's name. They don't give us her name. She is traditionally known as the woman at the well. But I think it's worth pointing out that this is another story. We're only four weeks into the book of John, and here is another story where Jesus is having a one-on-one conversation with somebody. Last week in John 3, we read about a story, a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Next week, we're going to read about a conversation between Jesus and a man who has been sick for 38 years. And this week, it's a one-on-one conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, the reason that that's interesting and worth pointing out is because we have said, and the Bible tells us, that if we want to know what God is like, we can look at Jesus. The the biblical way, the Bible phrasing of that, the Bible says that, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That's just a fancy way of saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, right? And so if you've ever wondered, I wonder what God is like, we can look at Jesus, study Jesus, and find out the characteristics and the qualities of God. And if that is true, and it is, what we are seeing very early on in this book of John is that Jesus and God are incredibly personal, that God is not up in heaven somewhere you know, just pulling strings or uh, popping his fingers and just sitting back with his legs kicked up, not really concerned, if Jesus shows us what God is like and four chapters into John, he's already had three one-on-one conversations, it is safe to say that Jesus wants to have one-on-one conversations with you, that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Exodus chapter 33:11. I've quoted it many times. If you've been around here, you've heard me say this. But Exodus 33:11 describes what this is like for us, this personal relationship. It says inside the tent of meeting the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And so I don't know how you've been taught or what ideas you picked up along the way, but here's what I want you to know today is that God is not against you. God is not out to get you. He is not trying to trip you up. He is not hiding from you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And we use these phrases around Hope City Church, but really in the church in general, we, we use these phrases, we say like, I found God, or we say, I was searching for God. And I know what we mean, and we say it here, and I get it, but the truth is, we really don't find God, because God is not hiding from us. We don't find him, he is, he's with us, he's just waiting on us to realize that he loves us and that he's with us. And so trying to find God is like trying to find my four-year-old son Solomon in a game of hide-and-seek, okay? It's not hard to find him because when he goes and hides, if he hears you getting close, he starts talking to you. <laughs> he'll, say, uh, he'll say, oh, you're getting close. He'll say, oh, oh you're, you're not going to find me, but, but you're in the room with him, Right? And so we've explained this concept to Solomon over and over again. Solomon, stay quiet. The point is to hide. But the reality is that Solomon likes being found more than he likes hiding. And the same is true about God. That God, you don't really find God. God finds finds you. And so this story today in John chapter 4 is going to teach us two things or remind us of two very important truths about God. Two very important truths. Number one, God is not hiding from you. And number two, God is not angry with you. Two very important truths about God you need to know. Number one, God is not hiding from you. And number two is that God is not angry with you. In this story, in John 4, Jesus is going to go out of his way to have a conversation with someone that everyone else, including his disciples, by the way, Believe is a lost cause. But we're going to see that no matter who you are or, or what you've done, you are one encounter with Jesus away from everything changing in your life. Just one encounter. So uh, let's read together. We're going to start at the very first verse of chapter 4 of the book of John. We could not fit all of the verses on your sermon guide. So we put a couple of the extra verses on there. But if you have a Bible or a phone or an iPad or somewhere, I'd love for you to read along as we read through uh, this story together. Now let's read through uh, the first seven verses John chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is what it says. Um, it, or actually, just start at verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4. He, talking about Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. This is a great place to just stop and be reminded that Jesus put aside being God to come be human. And the way that we know he was human was because after a long walk, he was tired. He was weary. He needed a rest, right? And so if you are tired today, if you're weary today, if you need a rest today, congratulations. You're like Jesus, all right? And he just needed a rest. This is a great reminder that he came to be with us. Verse seven, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. We'll stop there for, for just a moment and then we'll, we'll pick back up. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of history, but it's worth paying attention to when this, this woman, this Samaritan woman, came to the well to get water. It's very important because it sets the groundwork for the conversation that Jesus is about to have with her traditionally, traditionally, if you were one of the women in the town who were coming to get the water, you would come with a group of the women in town. It was a very social event. And you would come very early in the morning before the sun was all the way up because you had to carry several gallons of water, sometimes up to 40 gallons. I don't know how they did it, but sometimes up to 40 gallons of water. And so you would come as early as possible so that it would be as cool as possible And you would come with a group of people. So think of this like going to the coffee shop. Think of this like going to the hair salon or or something to where all of these ladies would come together and just make an event because they had to do this every single day. But that's not when this woman comes to the well. She comes by herself and she comes at noontime. She comes when the sun is directly overhead. She comes at the hottest possible moment uh, of, of the day because she wanted to be alone she did not want to be seen she didn't want to have to talk she didn't want to have to answer questions she was hoping that she could come get the water that she needed and be left alone and this is interesting because this, sh- this shows us that 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 a side effect a side effect of sin is guilt and shame this is true right That when our lives get to a place that we are embarrassed of or we are ashamed of, we want want to isolate ourselves. I've heard it said like this, that guilt is feeling bad for doing something wrong, but shame is feeling like there's something wrong with you. And the more guilty you feel about your sin, the more shame you feel. And if you stay there long enough, you will eventually isolate yourself from people because you're ashamed, You're embarrassed. You don't want to to be around anybody. Sin separates you from the people that you need the most because you're convinced that that there's something wrong with you, and it is our shame that pushes us away from from the people that we need, and it pushes us away from God, convinces us that that God couldn't love us because there's something wrong with us. Now, we're going to read in just a moment what's wrong with her, but, but God goes out of his way to find her, even though she's going out of her way to not be found. This is an important truth in this story, that God goes out of his way to find you. He, he goes out of his way to find you, even though we go out of our way to resist him. And so for the next 22 verses, we are going to read the conversation that happens between Jesus and this woman, and it's a lot of verses, but we're going to read all of them because I think it's important to, to understand the whole story, and then we'll circle back around with the time we have left, and we will uh, we'll, we'll take some truths out of this story. So let's read the rest of it, starting with verse 7, and we're going to read all the way to verse 30. So all the ADD folks, hang with me. Here we go. All right, I'm right there with you. Soon, verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Like She's getting a little sassy with the Savior How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, she's like, Okay, sir. The woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get the water. In verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. In verse 17, she said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? We'll just go with that, where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, verse 23, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. If that confuses you, just hang on, we'll get to it. 25, the woman said... I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Verse 26, and Jesus said, I am the Messiah. 27, just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, to to this woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Two more. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Congratulations, you just made it all the way to the end, okay? This is one of the most famous conversations in the Bible. A woman who has been married five times and is living with guy number six, gets one-on-one time with Jesus. Which which raises an interesting question. I wonder what you think you would talk about if you happened to get one-on-one time with Jesus. Like if you went home today and he was sitting at your kitchen table or on your back porch or wherever, It would be a little freaky, but if you walked in and Jesus was there, and he said, hey, can we talk for 30 minutes, and you got one-on-one time with Jesus, I'm curious what you think Jesus would want to talk about. Curious. I don't know exactly the topic that he would want to talk about, but based on the story that we just read, I think two things are fairly certain. That if you were to get one-on-one time with Jesus, I believe, number one, he would be much kinder than you think he would be. I believe that. I believe if you got one-on-one time with Jesus, you would come away from that conversation thinking to yourself, I really like this guy. He's, he's kind. He's, he's, he's a very likable person. But the second thing based on this story that I think is is pretty certain is that if you got one-on-one time with Jesus, not only would he be kinder than you thought he would be, he would also be more direct than you think he would be. Now we talked about this in the second week, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, which means he's more graceful than we can imagine, but it also means he's a straight shooter. Jesus is gracefully truthful. And we really struggle with this because we don't know anybody like that. We, we don't know anybody like that. We struggle with the idea of confrontation and truth because we're not used to people being gracefully truthful. We're used to people being passive aggressive. Right. We're used to people dropping hints. We're used to people being jerks, right? We don't know what it would be like to encounter someone who is gracefully truthful, but Jesus is gracefully truthful. He has the supernatural ability to be incredibly truthful, but he's not the kind of guy who says, well, I just tell the truth. I'm just honest to a fault. That's who I am. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is incredibly truthful, but he's really likable. So he can read your mail and call you out. And the whole time you're like, I really like this guy because he's gracefully truthful. It is the grace of Jesus that caused him to go out of his way to set up an encounter with this woman. But it is the truth of Jesus that caused him to bring up the situation in her life that is causing her sin, shame, heartache, and embarrassment. So grace says, I'll go out of my way to find you. Truth says, I'm not going to go out of my way to avoid the conversation that you and I need to have. Does that make sense to everybody? And the same thing is true for you and me. Jesus is more graceful than we could ever imagine, but the loving thing to do is is not to avoid or ignore the areas of our life that are keeping us from living, and I believe the same way that Jesus lovingly confronted this woman is the same way that he lovingly confronts us. And interestingly enough, I believe that the way that this woman at the well responded to Jesus' confrontation is the same way that we respond to Jesus when he shows up and begins to address the issues of our life that are keeping us from him. And so what I want to do for the time that we have left is I want to give you six ways that we respond to God's truth. Grab your sermon guide. We're going to fill these in. If you have one of those, I'd love for you to to fill these in with me. But the same way, so, so Jesus shows up to the woman at the well and tells her the truth. In a very graceful way, Jesus tells her the truth. And she responds, six very distinct ways she responds to Jesus, and they are the exact same six ways that you and I respond to Jesus when he shows up in our life through the Holy Spirit and convicts us and challenges us about the areas of our life that are holding us back. Is everybody still with me? Okay, so here we go. Six ways we respond to God's truth. Number one is defensive. We get defensive. Look at verse 7, very very beginning of the conversation, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans and she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, why are you asking me for a drink? In other words, Jesus is like, hey, could you please give me some water? And I love that Jesus said please, this is a nice guy, He's 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 not bringing any attitude to the conversation he's just very cordially saying, hey, could you please get me a a, a drink of water? And the the woman says back to her, why are you talking to me? You see it right away, just offensive. Like, why, why are you talking to me? And isn't it interesting that we do the same thing when we just feel like a a glimpse of, of God in our life, or a friend speaking on behalf of God brings up like a, a half a second of anything that could be truthful to help us, wow. why are you talking to me? I'm good. We don't, I'm fine. Let's change the subject. It's fine. I'm fine. We're good. Why are you, why are you talking about this? Who, who do you think you are? You, what, you don't have any issues? Well, you're judging me? You, see, you Like just immediately, immediately defensive. Immediately defensive. You can see there on your sermon God, I love Romans 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with, the, is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his key word here, kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin? Jesus is not being combative, but she's immediately Defensive. Now, the, the word defensive means anxious to avoid. And isn't it true that at times when God begins to deal with us about certain areas of our life, we are anxious to avoid any type of conversation or encounter about this? I'm good. You don't need to bring that up. Can you please stop talking about tithing? I, I don't have a problem. I know what I'm doing. Moving along. I, uh, I read this the other day that when you are doing any type of uh, rescue swimmer training, you are trained to approach the person that you're rescuing from behind. Because even though they need help and they are drowning, they are panicking so much that they will physically attack the person who is trying to save them. I got news for everybody in the room today. If you don't know Jesus, you are drowning. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus comes to us to save us or a pastor or a spiritual leader comes to us to help us or a friend who loves Jesus comes to us to help us, instead of going, thank you for saving me, I'm drowning, we say, I'm going to punch you in the face. Right. You're drowning. I'm good. Right? She is, she is defensive. Let's look at the next one. Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God that God has for you and who you're speaking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals? Number two, six ways we respond to God's truth. Number two, sarcastic. Jesus, Jesus says, Um, listen, I don't want to be crazy, but if you knew who I was, you would be so interested in this conversation. And she responds back like, oh, okay, you think you're better than Jacob? Okay. Okay. She she is sarcastic with with Jesus, right? Sarcasm is hostility disguised as humor. Sarcasm is for people who are afraid to get their hopes up. I heard it said like this one time that that sarcasm is a shield for cowards. And the reality is you're probably not sarcastic with God, but sarcasm tends to show itself in any spiritual moment. That split second when, when you get uncomfortable or someone is trying to have a meaningful conversation with you, you feel this need to just throw up the shield. And the danger of sarcasm for sarcastic people is that sarcastic people think that their sarcasm is one of their best qualities. But it is a shield that is keeping them from addressing the areas of your life that need to be addressed, and God wants to help you address those areas. Sarcastic. Let's keep going. Number three, verse 13, 14, and 15. Jesus, just so patient with her. It's amazing. She's been defensive. She's been sarcastic. And he says, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But those who, who, I, who drink it will never be thirsty again. Fifteen, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come, come here to get this water. Number three, six ways we respond to God's truth. Number three, she's selfish. She's selfish. Now the conversation's starting to heat up. And we are almost to the heart of the matter. Jesus is confronting her spiritual need, her emotional need, but all she can think about is her, is her physical need. Jesus is not talking about water. He's talking about hope. He's not talking about water. He's talking about why she feels so empty. Why she is never satisfied. Why she keeps searching but can come up with no answers that satisfy her soul. He's not talking about water. She's like, well, man, that would be awesome because I wouldn't have to come out here every day and get in this well and get some water. In other words, she is saying, you know what? I'm interested if you will fix my problem. And this is something we all struggle with. We're interested in God for all kinds of selfish reasons. We need a new job. We need a spouse. We need to get rid of legal trouble. We have kids, and we want them to be morally good kids. We need money. The list goes on and on for all the reasons we're interested in possibly talking to God. But God is much more interested in the spiritual dilemma that is happening in our lives than he is the physical dilemma that is happening in our lives. And so the woman says, I will, I will come to church... If God will bail me out of this, and Jesus, in a sense, is saying, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about keeping you out of jail. I'm not talking about getting you that promotion. I'm not talking about helping you get pregnant. I'm not talking about finding a spouse for you. I'm talking about your soul, right? Let's look at the next one. 16, 17, and 18, Jesus says, let's just go ahead and get to it, okay? 16, he says, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. Thanks for bringing it up. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth. Six ways we respond to God's truth. Number four is we're dishonest. She didn't straight up lie, but she told a half truth, right? Jesus finally brings up the issue and the woman answers him with a half truth. This is another way we respond to God when He begins to deal with the issues of our life. Hear me, God knows the truth about you. He's not asking you what's going on with you because He needs you to tell Him. He's asking you what's going on with you because He needs you to tell yourself, to be honest with yourself. What are some ways that we lie to ourselves when we know that God is dealing with us? Here's a popular lie I don't have a problem. Well, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank of another name. What about this lie? I'll fix it later. I can't really jump into it right now, but I'll fix it later. I've got it under control. Hey, later on, I'll, I'll, I'll get my life together. But even when we're lying to ourselves, we know the truth. We know the truth. That every time God begins to deal with us, We know the truth. Right now, I could end this sermon, I could pray, we could be dismissed, and you would leave here knowing exactly what God is saying to you about the areas of your life that are keeping you from being satisfied and living. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave it up in the air for you. The question is not, does God know what you need or what is true? The question is, are you willing to be truthful with yourself? About what is going on in your life. Now we're we're gonna look at um we're gonna look at these last uh, these last three real quick, um, but I think it's worth stopping and asking the question. At any point in this conversation, has Jesus been rude? No. Has he crossed any lines? No. Has he insulted or condemned her? No. Because Jesus is gracefully truthful. He is having an honest conversation with her, and it doesn't involve guilt, and it doesn't involve shame. And just, just as a side note, that's how you can know that you're talking to God and not the devil, because when you're talking to God, it never involves guilt and shame. But When you're talking to Satan or the devil or your your the sinful part of yourself, it's always going to be laced with sin and shame. You're an idiot. How could you do that? How long are you going to keep screwing up like this? You're never going to get it together. If people knew, they would hate you. God will never talk to you like that because he doesn't talk with guilt and shame. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Let's look at these last two. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why do the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the blah, 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 whatever? Number five, this conversation is pointless. Number five, the woman deflects. Number five, six ways we respond to God's truth, we deflect. So now, Jesus has zoomed in on the area. Here it is. She knows it. He's called it. He's read her male. Here we are. And she's like, hey, by the way, I got a question. What is your philosophy of worship? A deflection, like, hey, I really don't want to deal with this issue right now, so are you Republican or Democrat? What's your opinion about just total deflection, right? It's so painful, it's almost funny. She knows Jesus is right. She knows he's different, unlike any man that she's ever dealt with. But instead of embracing the truth and leaning into Jesus, she brings up some... Controversy or something. We all have ways we deflect, don't we? Right as you feel God beginning to really do something dramatic in your life, you got to switch gears and you got to start talking about. Well, I love God, but I don't love the church. Well, I had this church one time and they really hurt me. And uh, you know, my, bro- my, my my grandfather was a pastor, but he wouldn't let. Me. We just ame- and I'm not saying that what you deal with is not a real issue, but I'm saying that you know what to grab when you need to deflect from the conviction that God is putting on your heart and your life. Does that make sense to everybody? What you're talking about has nothing to do with what God is saying to you, but it's too uncomfortable to deal with the truth. So we, we make it about something else instead of what it is that Jesus is trying to talk about. One more, one more. Six ways you respond to God's truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything To us, number six, six ways we respond to God's truth. Number six, we hesitate. I mean, Jesus has has laser-like focused, zoomed in on what it is that is causing her to be so dissatisfied in life. And after she is defensive and sarcastic and selfish and deflects and all these things, finally, there's nothing else to do. She says, okay, okay, I will, I will later. I'll get it, I'll figure it out. I, I will later, when everything is right and when everything lines up and it's exactly how I want it to be, after I get married, after I have my kids, after I have my spring break trip, after I, whatever it is, after I get that job, I'm going to put in the hours now, but once I get the job, then I won't have to worry about that anymore. That's when I'll do it. One day. And don't we do this? Don't we do this? After I get out of debt? after I get a real job, I'll start tomorrow, we hesitate. And this encounter with this woman shows us exactly how we respond to God when we feel him challenging and convicting us. We get defensive, sarcastic, selfish, dishonest, deflect, hesitate, and all Jesus wants is for us to be honest. Now, I'm going to read one more verse today, and then we're going to We're going to close this out. I want you to look at the way that she describes Jesus to the people back in her town. It's verse 29. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I love this verse because it's another reminder that Jesus has the ability to judge me without making me feel judged. Jesus has the ability to call me out, but he never makes me feel like he's leaving me out. He convicts me, but he somehow makes it feel like he's defending me to everyone else. A a woman who spent her life being used and lied to by men has a conversation with a man, and, and he tells her everything. And it does not offend her in the least when he gets done. And she says, I think I just met God because no one has ever told me the truth like that. And so if you're here today and there are issues in your life that are always leaving you dissatisfied, always, nothing ever quenches the thirst, nothing ever feels The whole, and you have spent your your life figuring out how to stay away from honest conversations about what the real issues are. Jesus would love to have a conversation with you about that. And what you will find about Jesus is that he will be a hundred percent honest with you, but you will find out that no one has ever told you the truth like Jesus. He's incredibly graceful and truthful. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus to make a way for us to know you. Thank you, God, that when everything inside of us wants to push away from truth, when everything inside of us wants to hide and cover up whatever it is in our life that is causing us to to live with this dissatisfaction, this emptiness in our heart, that God, you want nothing more than just to have an honest conversation with us and to, and to fill our lives with love and grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being gracefully truthful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.